0: Somebody say, but God, God. now say it like you got some faith in your heart. Say, but God, I don't know if there's two better words in the Bible that we see, but God, when God shows up and divinely intervenes in a way that only God can, it's a but God moment. I thought I lost my way, but God kept me on track. I thought I wasn't going to make it through the night, but God held me strong. I thought it couldn't be done. But God made a way. But God. I'm so grateful for Pastor Tellus and hearing from the Lord on this series. And I'm ready to preach this word today. We're going to be in Matthew 19, verses 23 through 26. The title of the message is, All Things. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew 19, verses 23 through 26. And Jesus said to the disciples, truly. Let's pray. Father God, send your spirit to this room today, Lord, that we could hear a word from heaven. Clear our eyes, clear our hearts, clear our minds to see what it is you are speaking to us today. God, give us the faith to believe that with you all things are possible. God, if you don't show up this morning, it's not worth having church. So move with us today, God. Be with us today, Father. Release your power over this church today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a lot going on in this passage. It follows the story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking what must he do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus concludes that interaction with these words. And he drops a series of truth bombs on this guy and on his disciples. He's just dropping knowledge on them. And truth is kind of a funny thing. Because two things can be true at the same time, but really only one of them matters. There can be two truths, both valid, both real, but one truth is the greater truth. Couple examples. Any team can win the Super Bowl, that is true. Any team can, that's why we play the game, that's why we have a season. Any team can win the Super Bowl, that is true but there's a greater truth, which is that as long as guys like Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and a few others are around, not really any team can win the Super Bowl. Let's just be honest, okay? Two truths, one's a greater truth. I'll give you another example. In my household, say there's a conflict, or there's an issue, or there's varying perspectives about how to proceed with the children, or a decision we have to make. There's what I believe to be true about the issue, but there's a greater truth. There's a truth that really matters. There's a truth that we're going to live by and adhere by, and that is the truth of what my wife believes to be true about the issue, and that's because she's kinder and more gracious and loves the Lord more than me. That's why. she's so amazing. Two truths, both equally true, but one matters a bit more. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you ought to obey my commandments and he lists them. And the rich young ruler says, oh, I'm good there. I've done all of those. What else am I missing? And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and then follow me. And it says that the rich young man went away sorrowful. So what was true? What was true was that this man was living a morally and religiously acceptable lifestyle. He was in the habit of obeying God and his commandments. That is true. He had made a habit out of living a lifestyle to obey the law of God. But there's a greater truth. A truth that Jesus was trying to draw out of him in this moment. A truth that really matters. It was true that God had his habits, but it was also true that God did not have his heart. And that's what Jesus is really after in this moment. He wants you to live a righteous lifestyle. He wants you to adhere to the word of scripture. And he wants you to follow in his commandments and to obey what he has asked you to do. That's true. But more than that, God wants your whole heart. In Hosea 6, 6, God says to the prophet Isaiah, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than just burnt offerings why does god love sacrifice love why does god desire love over sacrifice it's because you can sacrifice without love but you cannot love without sacrifice love costs you something any type of real love is going to cost you something and out of the overflow of my love for god i live a life of sacrifice to god So what's the lesson in the passage? The lesson is what Pastor Tellus preached a couple weeks ago in the Big Give. In the kingdom of God, you can have possessions, but possessions cannot have you. And if God is asking you to lay it down, give it up, or give it away, and your response is no, then that possession has possession of you. And that is true. And we all should wrestle with that truth. And we should all really internalize that and allow the word of God to change who we are. But I actually believe there's there's a greater truth in this passage. There's something bigger that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. You see, he's very careful with his words. He says, it will be difficult. It will be difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it will be impossible. And it's true that it's difficult. But there's a greater truth. That although there will be things that are difficult for man, there is nothing that is too difficult for God. We're going to talk today about what's possible with God. What's possible with God? And the reality is there are things in your life that are going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. They're going to be unbearable. They're going to be frustrating. And that is absolutely true. But although things are difficult, that does not mean things are impossible. In the economy of God, difficult does not equal impossible. That's our first point today, and I want you to know that God is not only wanting to do the simple and the easy things in your life. I believe God wants to do the impossible things in your life. I believe God wants to do things in our lives that we just think are too difficult for him to do, that are almost impossible to be done in the natural, and I think he wants to do those things that we might have a right view of who he is. And we might sit in proper perspective before the Almighty Lord of all creation. I believe God doesn't just want to do the easy things in your life. I believe God wants to do the impossible things in your life. And yet, so much of our faith is relegated to the simple and the relatively inconsequential. Lord, clear this traffic up so I can get to work on time, just this once. Lord, would you open up a parking spot for me at this Wegman's? Man, it's crazy. Help me on this test, Lord. I didn't study for it, but God, you can give me a word of knowledge today. <laughs> I've seen guys at the gym praying harder than I've ever seen before, trying to get that bar up, going like, oh, Lord Jesus, please, Father and God, help me get this thing up off my chest. <laughs> and I believe God cares about the little things. I believe if it matters to you, it matters to God. I don't want to minimize that or say that's, that's inconsequential. I think that is true. I just don't think that's all he cares about. I think he wants to do more than the easy things in your life. I think God wants to do the impossible things in your life because if God can do the impossible things in your life, not only will you, but this entire community will see him for who he really is. Powerful, holy, mighty, righteous, and just capable of doing all things. The true creator God of all things. He doesn't just want to do the easy. He wants to do the impossible. So why don't we regularly believe God for the impossible? Because we got to wrestle with that question. If he can do it, why don't we ask him to do it? If I can be completely honest with you, I think, I think we hedge our bets by believing God for the easy so that we don't get disappointed when we don't get the hard. If I can just be really honest, we know that if we step out in faith and believe God for something that is supernatural, that is beyond us, that requires no input from me, we run the risk of it not coming to pass. And many of us are not emotionally or spiritually mature enough to handle the disappointment of not getting what we want from God. And that can be hard. And so we don't believe God for the impossible. We believe him for the easy, and we play it safe. We think we're being pragmatic. We think we're being wise. We think we're being, you know, logical and thoughtful. But what we're doing is we're quenching the spirit. We're suppressing our faith, and we are starving our spiritual lives. And we relegate the almighty God of the universe to a butler who grants good night sleeps, blessed meals, and available parking. And that's just not my God. Oh, he can do all those things. But he can do so much more than those things. Take Sarah, for example. Sarah, from the Bible, Sarah is the, Sarah is the wife of Abraham. Abraham is the man whom God selected out of all of humanity. who He was going to bring a family forth out of Abraham. That family was going to multiply into a nation. And from that nation would come the future Messiah who would redeem and restore all of humanity unto God. And so we need Abraham. And we need Sarah. And we need their family. But if you know the story... Abraham and Sarah, they're old and they have no kids. They're old, old. They're like 90 and 100 old. So I don't feel bad saying that in the church. If you're 90 and 100, you're old. We can all accept it. It's fine, okay? It's all love. You're old. It's okay. It's a grace in growing old. And they were old and they had no children. And God comes to Sarah and says, This time next year, you will have a child. And you know what Sarah does? <laughs> okay. <laughs> she laughed. She laughed at God. She laughed at the audacious claim that God was going to do something in the natural that she thought was impossible. And I'm not even that mad at her. She had been through years of believing God for children. She had been barren her whole entire life. This wasn't a new thing to her. She wasn't like 21 and just got married and God said you're going to have a children. Oh my gosh. She was 90. She had been hurt year after year after year. She had carried the scars and the wounds of hoping against hope and having those hopes dashed time and time again. And God says, I'm going to come do something that's impossible for you. And she laughs. How do you respond when God says he's going to do something miraculous in your life? I think some of us laugh because we were raised to believe that God no longer dabbles in the miraculous. God only does what's natural. And we go, oh, okay. You, preacher, you can preach on the miraculous. That's fine for you. I, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Some of us, you look inward and you go, do you know me? I don't have the faith nor the character for God to bless me with the impossible. I know my limitations. I'm not there yet. I don't know enough in God yet. I don't know that I can believe God in faith for those things. I think, I think I'm not good enough for God to do. And I think a lot of us are like Sarah. We just I don't think Sarah was being disrespectful. I don't think Sarah was being doubtful. I think Sarah was tired. I think Sarah was hurt. I think Sarah was exhausted about this conversation. How many times has she and Abram talked about having kids? Honestly, this wasn't the first time. And I think she just got to the end of herself. But look at how God responds to her. She laughs and God looks at Abraham and goes, excuse me. Why is she laughing at me? Why did she laugh when I said, You're gonna have children this time next year? Tell me, Abraham, why did she laugh? Is anything too hard for me? I know what I said, and I said it, and I know it's hard for you, but nothing is too hard for me. Listen, here's what you've got to know you're not the one performing the miracle. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what your science says about it. He's the God who created it. And if he has said a thing is going to come to pass, that thing is going to come to pass. If he's given you his word, you can take him at it. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Within him there is no spot or variation or shadow. He is unchanging. Unchanging. You can believe him when he says it. And if all you have is a word from God, that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. One word is enough. Yeah. You can hold on to that word as long as it takes. Yeah. And this is why I believe and I'm so excited to be a part of a multi-generational church. Because I know that there are some people here from the generation before us that are still believing God for unfulfilled promises in their life. And I so badly want to be there when he fulfills them for you. I want to witness the miracle of that grown son of yours who's been a knucklehead his whole life. Finally get right with the Lord. I want to be there when your grandbabies grow up and get into college. I want to be there and see the promises of God fulfilled at every stage of your life. God brought forth world-changing miracles out of Sarah when she was 90. You think you're going to age out of the kingdom of God? You think you're too old old for God to use? Maybe with you it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's impossible. God can do all things. But just because it's possible doesn't mean that it's easy. And that's the tough truth. All things are possible, but not... All things are easy. Oh, it's possible to climb Mount Everest. I don't mean it's easy. It's possible to dunk a basketball. Maybe not for me, but for some people it's possible. <laughs> and that still doesn't mean that it's, that it's easy. Jesus said it would be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Let me tell you, it was not for us to figure out how do I get a camel through or not how can we fear? no 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 jesus was telling us that because he wanted us to know that there are some things that you can only do with god yeah. with man it's not possible but with me all things are possible so then why is it that even though all things are possible not all things are easy more specifically why are the things that are possible for god so difficult for us Why is it that even though he can do all things, we don't always get all things that we ask for? And if we do get them, why don't we ever get them when we ask for them? (laughs) I think it has to do with one of two things. Usually it has to do with both. I think it's because God is so much bigger than us, and he wants us to be so much bigger too. You know, the Bible says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. He He is higher than us. You know, God is not limited in his ability or his perspective on things. He is the sovereign God over all creation. He is outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning. That's what the word says. And so although sometimes it can feel like we have to convince God or coerce God or beg God or get him to change his mind, perhaps the reality of the situation is that a sovereign God who is over all things knows things that you don't know sees some things that you don't see and is working things you don't even understand to bring about his good purposes in your life. Now we're either going to clap for God or we're not going to clap for God. But if somebody claps, you better support them in their faith. (laughs) Don't make them feel like they're crazy. They got faith this morning. God is bigger and he wants us to be bigger too. He wants our faith to be bigger. He wants us to grow, and oftentimes part of the waiting is what's being formed on the inside of us. You know, we all went through 2020 together, so we all went through that weird, like, three-month period where we all baked bread at home, okay? Yeah, yeah, you didn't know you were the only one. No, we all did it, we all, for some reason. And so you know that when you add yeast to bread dough, it doesn't accomplish its purposes right away. You have to wait for it's to fulfill its purpose. It's called proving. So you add the yeast to the dough and then you let it sit and you let the yeast do what it does. And over time that yeast proves itself and that dough begins to grow, begins to get bigger. So it is with us that God is adding things to the mixtures of our lives that take time. They take time to accomplish their purposes within us. They take time to accomplish what God intended it to accomplish. But when you wait on what God has put in your life, your faith will be proved. And it will show itself true or false. And in the end, you will grow. And you will grow in wisdom and in understanding. Your character will be strengthened. Your resolve will be firmed up. And you will be a man or woman that God can use for all things and at any time. Because he has allowed you to grow in him through the waiting and through the forming. God is big. His ways are not our ways. And he wants us to come up a level or two in our faith and how we trust him. And when we do that, our faith grows, and it allows us to have a persistent and a resilient faith. And here's the thing about persistent faith. Persistent faith brings about the most powerful miracles. The persistent faith in the waiting and in the longing and in the sleepless nights. Faith, even when you're doubting, figure out that contradiction. But we've all been there. I believe, God, help my unbelief. I'm going to stand on the word, God. I don't know if I can stand on it, but I'm going to stand on it. I want to tell you about my friends, Max and Ty. Max and Ty go to this church. Max is an usher here. Michelle and I have served with them for a number of years in varying capacities. Max and Ty were married in 2014. They were a little bit older when they got married. They were in their late 30s, and they wanted to have a family really badly. And so they got married. They started believing God for children. And after a while, after a couple years, they found this was going to be a little bit harder than maybe they thought it was going to be. At this point, Ty was over 40 years old. She only had one ovary, she had endometriitis, and she had a diagnosis from the doctor that said you have a 5% chance of becoming pregnant naturally. These are great men and women of faith, and they said, you know, we're going to take that chance. So they prayed, and they believed God, and they got pregnant, and unfortunately, they miscarried that child. And that's a crushing blow to any who has suffered that and gone through that. You hope against hope, and You feel like something that should be so easy for God. God, why is it so difficult for me? This this ought not to be. God, we're going to make good parents. Like, why are you withholding? They fasted. They prayed. They believed. They rallied their hope. And they said, you know, we're going to keep trying. They got pregnant a second time. Uh And they miscarried a second time. Uh And on their own self-admission, they would say they were not the pillars of faith during that season. I don't know that any of us would be. Crushing blow after crushing blow, an impossible diagnosis, yet faith that's trying to be resilient, trying to be persistent. They're exploring all options they can because the desires of their heart are just going unfulfilled year after year after year. And in 2020, six years after they got married, they found themselves in my office going, we have some decisions we need to make about this and we're not sure what to do. And can we talk and can we pray and can we see, you know, uh, what you think and maybe help us know what to do. And so I heard their story, I listened to them, they're friends of mine, and we, um, and we talked. And I didn't like what I felt like God was saying to me, but I felt like I had to say it anyways, Amen. which was that although they had been trying for natural for so many years, I felt like God said, continue, continue to believe in the path that has been most painful for you. Amen. And we prayed. And we added our prayers to hundreds and thousands of prayers that had gone before that moment. There was nothing magical about our prayer in that moment. There was nothing special other than I felt a sense that this is what the Lord was saying to them. So we prayed and we believed, and this was a testimony that Michelle and I had, that we had a couple pray over us when we couldn't get pregnant. And then one month later, we got pregnant, and we said, we're just going to pray that prayer over everybody we meet that struggles in this space. Because God did not give us a blessing that it would stop with us, hello, somebody, but that it would go through us. So we prayed another prayer. And five months later, they got pregnant again. And nine months later, this little baby girl, Zoe, came into the earth. And I don't know if you've ever held a miracle. They're not always that easy to come by. Oftentimes, they require great faith stretched out over many years. But God gave a word to Elijah that said, this, famine, this drought is going to end, and you pray and believe that it's going to end. And he still had to send his servant up the mountain seven times before they even saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. The Israelites had to go around Jericho six times and then seven more times, day after day after day after day, believing that the promises of God were going to come to pass for them. Hannah had to show up in that town, temple day after day after day, year after year after year, as she was mocked and ridiculed in her own household, crying out, praying like you've never seen anybody pray before. They said, Hannah, you must be drunk the way you're praying in this temple. But she said, I believe my God is going to fulfill a promise to me. And if he doesn't, I'm going to bang on that door until he does. Oh, all things are possible with God, but not all things are easy. Often the impossible requires your persistent faith. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says in Matthew 9, as he heals a man, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. So if my faith has anything to do with a miracle coming to pass in my life, oh, I'm going to go find that faith somewhere. I'm not going to let my lack of faith be the one thing that stops God from doing the impossible in my life. If he said it's possible, then it's possible. And it's going to come to pass. My God said all things. I think he meant all things. I don't think he meant some things. I think he meant everything. The disciples go, Jesus, who can be saved then? If this rich man can't be saved, you're saying putting camels through, you need Like, what are you doing? Then who's going to heaven? And Jesus says, yeah, with you, it's not possible. With you, it's impossible. With you, you don't have a shot. You don't have a chance. You don't have a hope. That's what I'm trying to say. But it's not about you. You're not the one performing the miracle. With me, it's possible. With me, it's possible. With me, all things are possible. And somewhere along the line, we've let ourselves believe that when Jesus says all things, what he really meant was some things. And you know, it's only ever the disciples who get rebuked for not having enough faith. You look through scripture. Oh, ye of little faith. He's not talking to the widow. He's not talking to the beggar. He's not talking to the lame person. He's talking to Pharisees or disciples. We're the ones who know him the best, see him the clearest, and have been in his house and in his presence more than anybody else. We're the ones who have the greatest testimony of his miracle working power. And yet we don't believe in his miracle working power. We've relegated him to something small and insignificant in our lives. Think about this, God forgave your sin and he's welcoming you into everlasting right relationship for all of eternity with him. He allowed his own son to go up on that cross to suffer a criminal's death for crimes he didn't commit that you might be saved. And all you have to do is repent of that lifestyle, repent of that sin, turn to Jesus, call him Lord and Savior of your life, and you get forgiveness, eternal life, and all the blessings that come along with it. All you have to do is repent and believe. And God gives that to you for free. And you think now he's going to get petty with you? And go, oh, well, no, you're not acting good enough. I'm not going to keep this miracle over here. I'm not going to do the impossible for you until you start acting right. You know, that's how you got here in the first place. You were acting right. No, 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 no. God rescued you from hell when you were a sinner. You think now his power is going to stop in your life? You think now he looks at you differently or loves you differently or sees you as less than? That's not the testimony of scripture. That's not the character of my God. Yet the disciples are the ones who always forget and always lack belief. We always put a limit on what God will do. And that scares me to be someone with so much confidence to tell God what he will and won't do in my life. Lord, let me never put a limit on your power in my life. Some of us this morning need to repent from our unbelief. We need to ask God for forgiveness that we've stopped believing in him to do the things that he has said that he can do in our lives. We'll trust him for the gift of salvation, the impossible gift of salvation that you don't deserve and couldn't earn and could never even have the boldness to ask for. And yet he has given you that impossible gift. And now we choose to not believe him for other things in our lives. Or we think he doesn't like us anymore. Or we think that he's mad at us. Listen, if God wasn't mad at you when you were the worst sinner you've ever been in your life, he's not mad at you now. Okay? Just just think about the character and about the love of God for his church and for his people. I think often, let me close here. Let me close. Sometimes we get way too discouraged when things are hard in our lives. But those are the moments where only God can prove that he's only God. Isn't an impossible circumstance the only place where a miracle can happen? And isn't God trying to show us something about his character? And so when things are hard in our lives, when we're at the end of ourselves, that's what we say in the church. You get the end of yourself, you get to what? You get to the beginning of God. And we get to impossible circumstances and we go, God, why are you so mad at me? Why don't you love me anymore? But maybe God in your impossible circumstances trying to show you and by that the community around you that he is greater than all things in this earth. He is beyond what is natural. You know, I believe God wants to do the impossible in your life, but here's a hard truth. I don't think he wants to do it just for you. All throughout scripture, when we see Jesus doing the miraculous, it wasn't just to make a blessed person more blessed. It was to make a lost person found. And a dead person alive. And an unredeemed person redeemed. The testimony of the miracle working power of God is that many would come to salvation in Christ by seeing him for who he truly is. And if we would believe God for the impossible and take him at his word, there would be so many who would see God as holy and as righteous and as majestic and as pure and as good and as worthy of putting our faith in and trusting with our lives. The miracles are rarely ever about you. They're about what God wants to do through you. There's a man in the temple. He had a withered hand. I don't know if it was from birth. I think it was from birth. But the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to break the Sabbath. Trying to get Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath. They would catch him in a sin and in a trap. And Jesus says to them, if you lose a sheep on the Sabbath, don't you go and help that sheep? Don't you go and rescue the sheep that is lost? He looks at this man and he says, stretch out your hand. Now what was true for that man? What was true was that this hand did not stretch out. It's the one thing it didn't do. His lived experience, his condition in that moment, that what was true was that my hand doesn't do the thing you just said I should do with it. But we know there's a greater truth. That Jesus wanted to heal this man. He wanted to do something for this man that had never been done before. So he says, stretch out your hand. You know, the Bible says faith without actions is no faith at all. So it didn't matter in this moment, and it doesn't matter in this moment what you believe about it or what you know to be true about it. What matters in these moments is what you do about it. That man still had to stretch out his hand. And it might be true that you're facing a difficult situation. It might be true that you're believing God for the impossible. It might be true that you come in here today and you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. But I just want to tell you, there is a greater truth. There is a greater truth that there is no sin that is too far from God's grace. There is no diagnosis that is beyond God's healing touch. There is no circumstance or situation that is beyond God's ability to redeem it. With you, it might be impossible. And with you, you've probably proven that it's impossible. But with God, but with God, but with my God, it doesn't matter what it is with me, it matters what it is with him. So I'm gonna stretch out my hands and I'm gonna believe that when he says all things, he means all things. Not some things, not easy things, not the close things, all things all things all things would you stand to your feet take a step of faith this morning if you're believing God for something impossible in your life would you stretch out your hands don't think about it don't wait don't hold on let me me look over no 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 if you believe for a miracle in your life stretch out your hands It's a declaration of faith. There's no magic in it, but there is something in your faith that says today, God, I'm coming with renewed faith, renewed perspective, renewed belief. That God, with me, I've seen it's impossible. But with you, God, all things are possible. Father God, I'm asking you in this moment, as you look out over your sons and daughters who are stretching their hands out to their heavenly father, they're saying, God, we need you to move. In my own strength, I can't make it happen. In my own ability, I can't bring it to pass. But Lord, I've read the words of your son Jesus. And he said, when it's impossible with me, that's when it's possible with you. So Lord, would you do the impossible this morning? Would you release the gift of faith over this congregation to believe that the virtue of God can be seen in their life? For those who are brokenhearted, that there would be healing. For those who are barren, that life would come into those wombs. That those who are believing for healing, that there would be a portion of health on their life. For those who have a child who is lost and wandering, God, that you would bring the prodigals home. Father, for those who are facing financial uncertainty, God, that the provision of heaven would be made realized in their lives. Lord, our hands are withered, but we're stretching them out. Because we want to see your work in our lives. We want to see you move in our lives, God. Not that we could be bettered, but that that your kingdom might grow. That those who are far from you would be found in you. God, let it come to pass this morning. We pray for your glory. Not for our glory. Not to make the message better. Not to make this moment better, God. But that you would be rightly viewed as a holy God. As a righteous God. As a wonder-working God. God, we believe you for it. We believe you for it, Lord. Let it be done according to your will.